Welcome into the Daily Illini Sports Podcast. It's Josh Peace joined once again with Carson Gordy. Carson, we haven't been here in a while. It's our first podcast in about a month. We've had uh, myself getting COVID. You've been at Big Ten Media Days. There's been a lot going on. And the White Sox are still 500. I mean, they're kind of just stuck. 500, 33 and 33, 15 and 50. Doesn't really matter. Um, yeah, school's almost here. Football's almost here. Big Brett Bielema is ready for a nice football season. Just went to media days. And um, it's pretty much dominated by USC, UCLA talk. And, you know, Josh Whitman, our athletic director, and, you know, Brett Bielema, that football coach, they're pretty pumped about the addition, I would say. Now, what do you, like, what was your reaction when you found out USC was going to come to the Big Ten? Yeah, I mean, I remember being at work on a Friday because since we've podcasted, this has all happened. And remember, everything moved really fast. But I remember being at work at my desk and I get a tweet sent from one of my friends at school. And it's like, yo, like the Big Ten's moving to California. And, you know, I'm at my desk. And I'm like, haha, good one. Then I go on Twitter and all these verified sources are like, yeah, like this is going to happen. And it's probably going to happen tonight. So, you know, it becomes official at night. And my first thought was like, this is really weird. Like tradition like totally out of the picture anymore you know everyone's favorite midwest state california is now part of the big 10 and then you think about it more and obviously we're going to get into it but financially this makes a ton of sense for the big 10 and for ucla and usc because the pac-12 has not been very good oregon hasn't been the football team powerhouse that it's been the last couple of years so usc and ucla saw an opportunity to get to a better conference in the big 10 where you can play teams like Ohio State, Michigan State, Michigan, Penn State consistently. It's going to benefit everyone financially. I think we would both agree it's going to benefit a school like Illinois financially as well. And stuff is going to start changing around the country, but it started with the Big Ten, and I like it. It's a good response to Oklahoma and Texas. Yeah, at Media Days, you know, Barry Alvarez, the former Wisconsin coach, you know, he's the the new special advisor to the conference. And, you know, he loves rivalries. He likes, you know, the tradition, but he realizes college football is a business. So there was a Wall Street Journal reporter saying, is it fair that football makes 80% of revenue, that football dictates all these things? And he just said, that's how it works. How do you want to pay for these non-revenue sports? So for Illinois getting $100 million in just television revenue, I mean, you're never going to have to worry about funding gymnastics. You're never going to have to worry about funding, you know, these Olympic sports. Look at COVID. There was a bunch of athletic departments that had to cut sports because of a lack of revenue. That's not going to be a problem with the Big Ten. You talk about travel. People are like, wow, you know, Rutgers traveling to UCLA, you know, for a swim meet, does that make any sense? But as Josh Whitman said, like in the spring, You know, the softball team's going to California for weeks. You know, they're going to Florida for tournaments because you can't play in Champaign in February. So, yeah, there's going to be extra travel and stuff. But overall, like this money, this revenue is really going to secure, you know, the status of these Olympic sports for years to come. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's going to help every single athletic department. And I know we're going to talk about it in a little bit. This is going to help NIL, too. And even, you know, with a team like Illinois that are they going to win a Big Ten championship, you know, realistically, or even win the Big Ten West? Probably not. It's not going to happen. But you can use this for NIL, get some good players, because a guy like Brett Bielema wants to make a bowl game consistently. And that can realistically happen. And NIL money always helps. But I think another thing to look at from media days, because I didn't get to go myself, but everyone that I followed on, you know, Twitter and social media was saying Kevin Warren, after having a bad, you know, start as Big Ten commissioner came out, you know, he was fired up, he was being bold, and he made this move. 
and something that a lot of people would have questioned, oh, bringing in two teams from the West Coast, even if they are powerhouses, like that's a that's a hot take. But Kevin Moore was bold about it. He's happy he made the decision. And this is probably going to affect his, you know, appearance as Big Ten commissioner for the better for years to come, I think. Talking about Kevin Warren, like people said he had a bad offseason last year, but that was just public perception. He was literally just playing, you know, cards close to his chest. Who knows what he was thinking? The reason why people were mad last year is because the SEC got Oklahoma, they got Texas. And then you try to ask, you know, Kevin Warren, who you take in, and he kind of pled the fifth. You know, he's not really saying it. And because, you know, there's rules regarding if you can say, you know, you can't like pick off teams from conferences, they have to come to you. So, you know, my respect for Kevin Warren is through the roof. I mean, if you would have told me last year that USC was going to be in the Big Ten and not Kansas, you know, I, I think you're a looney tune. But, you know, in today's world, you have to think outside the box. Yeah, I think when people were, you know, with the expansion thing, you see Oklahoma and Texas go to the SEC. If you would have asked me who the Big Ten would have gone after, originally I probably would have said Kansas, like you said. Iowa State sort of makes sense. Notre Dame, people are always going to be up and down about. USC and UCLA were just not expected. And another thing that, you know, hurt Kevin Warren's perception originally was that he didn't handle COVID particularly well. You know, he went his he was changing his opinions back and forth. You have the all these conferences, you know, quote unquote, cancel the football season. And then you have the SEC and I believe the ACC too come and say, yeah, we're going to do a conference schedule. So immediately Kevin Warren jumps back on that too. So he was changing his mind a bunch. You know, the, his perception from the public was not very good. But like I said, everyone's going to forget that. And adding USC and UCLA, it's, just, it's a home run. It's great. Like you said, my respect for him is through the roof. And think about Illinois. Like one thing that people consistently say, you know, with 16 Big Ten teams, are you really going to have divisions? Probably not. No. You know, so the one thing that the Big Ten could move to is a model called the 366. Have you heard of that? I have not. It's three permanent rivals, and then you rotate with the other conference members. So if you're a TV executive, who do you want Ohio State to be guaranteed to play every single season? Well, if we're going three with the new teams, you'd probably go Michigan, Penn State, and USC. Yeah. You think they'd put Illinois in there as a protected? Absolutely model? not. Illinois is going to get like Purdue and Northwestern or something like that. Maybe Iowa. They get Purdue, Northwestern, and then Iowa or Indiana. That's three built-in games every single season. So instead of having to play Michigan State, instead of having to play Wisconsin, instead of having to play maybe a Nebraska program that finally gets its footing, you know, you're going to play three of the weaker Big Ten teams. Yeah. Adding the fact that you get two easy non-conference games and then a Kansas slash Duke. I mean, this really opens up the opportunity for Illinois to get consistent bowl status. And that's yeah, what no, Bielema wants. Exactly. I totally agree. People, maybe when Bielema got hired, us, you know, Illinois football fans that like to drink the Kool-Aid every year thought, yes, in two, maybe three, four, five years time, we can be Big Ten West contenders. Obviously, like we said, we're probably not going to have divisions. If they did keep divisions, there's no way Illinois, you know, wins a division title. However, some people say, you know, in the Illinois football family, let's just be Iowa. When seven, eight, maybe nine games a year, nine would be fantastic. If you're consistently making a bowl and winning bowl games, like you said, having teams like Northwestern who's struggling, Purdue who's never a powerhouse, Indiana, Nebraska that's struggled, especially under Scott Frost, maybe some other teams that is super realistic. If you want to win seven, maybe eight games a year, 
this is almost perfect for Illinois adding USC and UCLA. Like you said, if they go to this three, six, six model, you have your non-conference games, you have these rival games that you've got to feel good about if you're Brett Bielema in Illinois, it gives you a path to seven wins every year. What do you think about recruiting? Cause that's one thing they kept bringing up. Like, Hey, we're in LA, our brands in LA, we have a bunch of alums. This is going to help us recruit. Do you think that's plausible that Illinois goes into Los Angeles and takes a bunch of players? No, I don't buy anything into that. You know, I think that Illinois recruiting uh, pitch is probably going to be the exact same. If, if you're saying, okay, we get to go to LA, like great, but Illinois is always going to compete against Iowa, Purdue, Northwestern, pretty much for the same exact recruits. Like Lovey Smith going down to Florida didn't make much sense to me. Even through all this thing, I think that Bielema has got to continue to hammer the state of Illinois. And that's probably going to help pitch recruits in the state of Illinois. Maybe someone that would have gone to Wisconsin could still stay home just for the fact that they're probably going to be playing the same teams. I don't know. But the whole recruiting, like, I don't think the recruiting pitch for LA might help a little bit. I just don't think it's going to help overall. Like, I think Illinois' recruiting base is the exact same. I think it helps Ohio State. It definitely helps Ohio State. I think it helps Michigan. And it's going to help USC and UCLA more than anyone. Illinois, Purdue, Northwestern are not going to be affected by this. Well, that's the thing. Like when I did write an article, I did mention like, you know, when Texas A&M was added to the SEC, it really helped the Southeastern Conference recruit the Lone Star State. Mm -hmm. But like to Mississippi State really go in after Texas A&M and take some four and five stars. Like, yeah, it helps exposure. It's going to be cool for Brett Bielema to play in the Rose Bowl in September. But, yeah, I don't think we're going to become, you know, a powerhouse in California. Probably not. No, it doesn't make sense. Like we said, Ohio State's going to benefit from this a lot. UCLA and USC, in my opinion, are going to benefit the most. Is a team like in a Penn, in like Penn State going to benefit? Maybe. Maybe. I think, uh, I think Rutgers is going to get hurt by this. I think that they're just going to stay down in the dumps. And I hope Illinois benefits. Money-wise, they definitely will. If our, you know, prediction of the 366 – type of schedule comes into play Illinois is in great shape but could Illinois be hurt by this maybe you look at the SEC Tennessee is going to get hurt by Oklahoma and Texas coming in so is Illinois in that situation I don't know but overall it's a home run I love it who would you take next I think the next team for the Big Ten that you look at is like Miami because you know when I was at media days you know I was talking to a source that is very close to a high ranking big 10 official not allowed to say his name because you know that's how he grew to talk to me you know like an Iowa state you know a Kansas that's really not in the play anymore you know they want to expand the brands like you got the California brand now why would you go to Ames to Iowa for the next step you get Miami here I'll ask you this question real quick just for kicks and giggles, if you were the Big Ten and you were offered Alabama or Washington, who would you take? Oh, my gosh. That's something I did not expect to be asked today. Um, Washington or Alabama? Or Oklahoma. Let's, let's replace it. Oklahoma and Washington. Who do you take? Washington, probably. Okay. Well, you're supposed to say you would take Oklahoma. <laughs> Just think about it this way. Does it, like, yes, Washington is in Seattle. Yeah. It's a better media market. Yeah. But does anybody really tune in to watch the Washington Huskies take on a team? Not since they lost to Alabama in the college football playoff. They don't. No, people watch college football for brands. Yeah. Like Alabama, big brand. 
but it's in Tuscaloosa. So if you get a brand like Miami, like granted, you do have the media market in Miami, but it's the brand of the U. Like people would turn in to watch Miami play. With Mario Cristobal coming into the big, uh, coming into Miami, I mean, he's a great recruiter. I mean, they got a great quarterback with Van Dyke. I mean, it's possible that Miami's going to rival Clemson, you know, as one of the top dogs in the ACC for the next decade with Cristobal. So that's a team, if the Big Ten gets them, that's great academics. It's a great media market. It's a good brand when they're good. Like people hate to love Miami. They love to hate Miami. Like that's a no brainer for the Big Ten. I think you have to take the Hurricanes. Miami would be interesting, but I think that, you know, I don't know if a two conference thing is going to end up happening. I know when this originally all went down, some people said this might just end up being North and South, like everything, California, not maybe Arizona goes to the North Mason Dixon line in South Texas, all the Southeast goes to the Southern conference, right? You have about 35 ish teams each. And in that case, Miami, of course, you know, Florida state, we've talked about too would go to the South. So, but with that being said, if this ends up being like a three team super conference or four or whatever, if, if the big 10 is looking for a team, Miami does make sense, but geographically it makes no sense. Not only because it's far away and I know UCLA and USC are too, but Miami's in a fine situation. They're not looking to get out. Like they're in the ACC, which right now is fine. And if they're going to move a conference, move to a new conference, the SEC just makes so much more sense. Like what can the big 10 possibly say to a school like Miami right now? But the SEC can do the exact same thing. If the SEC hears that the big 10 is going after Miami, there's no way that the SEC won't be like, okay, we're just going to take you instead. What, from what I hear, what the, from what the SEC would want, they want Florida state. Makes sense. Clemson. Yep. North Carolina. So you're telling me they want North Carolina over Miami. That's it. cool. And then they would take Virginia. For Virginia, Virginia, North Carolina make way more sense to the Big Ten to me than Miami does. They do make sense. But if you're the Big Ten, if you're trying to maximize television revenue, if you're trying to expand the brand, why wouldn't you go into the state of Florida? The Big Ten of can Of course you'd go into but, but it's like I Miami said, has a better chance to be competitive in the Big Ten conference. They have been down recently, but yeah, like you said, good quarterback, really good coach. Um, they don't fill up their stadium at all, but that's kind of what the Big Ten does, right? Yeah. So I, I don't know. Like like I said, to me, for the Big Ten, and, uh, and of course I'm adding geography into this, and I know that with California, USC and UCLA are far away, but like they were looking to get out of their conference. Like I said, Miami not only is not looking to get out of their conference right now, but the SEC would just – go after them. Does it, would I want the big 10 to make a push for Miami and would I accept them? Of course I would. It's great in all type of ways. I know that we're not focusing on basketball, but like having them for basketball would be really cool too. But I'm just saying Miami would never go for it. That they're not coming to the big 10. Well, I think we got to wait a little bit longer. I mean, the ACC, you know, Jim Phillips did a good job of locking these teams in the contracts till 2036. I mean, their buyout to leave, it's, it's ridiculous. It's really not going to be financially realistic until like a 2030. Mm-hmm. So if you're the big 10, are you really going to panic and grab Oregon? Are you going to grab, no. you know, Cal and Stanford that really don't increase the brand? Like, I think this is a long picture thing. The SEC, the big 10, they're waiting for the buyout for the ACC to lower enough where it's worth to pay. So this could be like a 2030 thing. This isn't going to so, be a thing yeah. in the next 12 months. Okay, so it could be a 10-year thing, and in that case, we'll reevaluate. But something that could happen sooner than that that I wanted to ask you about is Notre Dame. 
because it did come out shortly after UCLA and USC joined the Big Ten that the Big Ten reached out to Notre Dame immediately and was like, hey, we'll take you right now on the same thing as UCLA and USC. So you look at it financially for a second, right? Because Notre Dame's independent. They've always been independent and theoretically they probably want to stay independent, but their contract with NBC is worth no more than, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think it's more than 20 or $25 million, correct? It's 15 right now. But okay, so okay, so they're renegotiating. But can Notre Dame, and I know that they have a smaller student population. I know that they have their own small school, private, private brand. You got Midwestern Catholics. You have the tradition of football. You play the military schools. You've got USC. You got Chicago. But if you're, exactly, and you have Chicago. But if you're only getting 15, which might go up to no more than 20, 25, 30 million dollars a year from NBC, and you look at possibly a hundred million dollars from the Big Ten, can you really turn that down? Well, according to early negotiations, it's possible that NBC is going to beef it up to 75 million. Who? And well, then that changes the game, which I don't think is realistic because if you look at Notre Dame, they were the ninth most watched team in the country last year. Which, which sounds about right. That's good. Yeah. Is that $75 million a year? Like Michigan State was higher viewed. Ohio State was higher viewed. And especially, you know, if USC is not going to play Notre Dame anymore, if they can't play Stanford anymore, they're just playing military schools. What average Joe on Saturday is going to be like, yeah, you know what? I'd rather watch Notre Dame take on Navy than watch Ohio State USC. Why couldn't pause? Why couldn't USC and Notre Dame still play even if USC joins the Big Ten? It can just be one of their non-conference games. It's tradition. You're playing nine Big Ten conference games. Say it goes up to ten, and then you're going to play Notre Dame on top of it. It's just it's possible that with the new scheduling within conferences, it's realistic that you know USC might have to shift its schedule. You know. It, it could be if Lincoln Riley's plan of becoming the new powerhouse and making the football playoff every year happens. And to be honest with you, I just don't see Notre Dame getting any stronger than they are now. Why wouldn't USC want to keep Notre Dame? Because it's a home and home. And if you feel good about winning it four out of five times, I want to keep it, it. It would just be like if the Big Ten moves up to 10 conference games or say, hey, let's say the Big Ten. Yeah, takes true. They take USC and then you put an embargo on Notre Dame. Hey, mm -hmm. you join our conference. You can't play Notre Dame because you're trying to force Notre Dame's hand. It's not, you know, set in stone, but that's just a possibility. But let's just say Notre Dame gets somehow $75 million from, from NBC. That's just for football. And what people don't realize is that Notre Dame still gets ACC money. From, you know, it's partial, but they still get it. So instead of getting the $36 million that Clemson gets, they still get around $30 million. Because yeah. they still play every basketball game, baseball, you name it. And then they play five ACC teams. So if you add up 75 million, you add up 33 million, they would be making more than every Big Ten team. But I think it's highly dubious that NBC would pay $75 million for not even the most watched brand in football. I agree with you. I don't think a five times increase in pay is realistic at all. So, no. all right, just real it's quick a before. Five for Notre Dame. I think it's just like they like yeah. their independent status. They've rejected the Big Ten on multiple occasions. If they can still stay independent, and still have a chance to make the playoff, they're not going to join the Big Ten. Except for hockey. They join the Big Ten for hockey. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, right, so, then for lacrosse, you know. Exactly. So before we move on to just, you know, taking a deeper dive at Illinois specifically, I want to ask you, what is more realistic for, say, the next team or teams to join the Big Ten? Oregon in a school like Washington or Notre Dame or another option? 
Notre Dame's off the picture for the next 10 years until that yeah. ACC contract. I don't think we can predict anything with realignment until we finally see the ACC blow up. They're stuck in it financially. And you know, the SEC is gunning for Florida State. They yeah. want Clemson. Like, so, and if you're Clemson, why wouldn't you want to join the SEC? Clemson is going to make $40 million. Illinois is going to be making $100 million in revenue. That's not a good look. Does Brett Bielema really deserve $60 more million or the athletic department than Dabo Sweeney's? Nope. Like if you're Clemson, just like, why wouldn't you join the SEC? And with new college football schedules, going nine and three is going to be accepted. There's going to be a 16-team playoff. So, you know, you can lose a couple games and still make the playoffs. So Clemson's going to want to go to the SEC. So once the ACC gets dismantled, yeah, maybe we could take Notre Dame. So I, what's, what's your question again? Oregon, which is more, more realistic to happen recent. Like it not because 10 years, obviously, is when the ACC's contract is up. So what's more realistic, Notre Dame deciding to come earlier, going and getting a school like Oregon or Washington or both? <sighs> You know, if we're going with the line of thinking that Kevin Warren's done, he was patient. He took USC, didn't panic and take Kansas. I think they wait out for Notre Dame. They've already told Oregon and Washington that you need to hold put. I mean, stay put. So I'm going to go with the Irish. I agree. I think that 16 is a decent number. I think if you add Notre Dame, by the way, you're probably going to go get one more school. And I think Kansas would be that school. No, there's no Um, chance. No, no, I think they would. I, and I think if you have one interest in getting a basketball school, that would help too. What do you because think? Because 17 is a, 17 is a weird number. Like would they really stick with an odd number of teams? Probably no. not. So if Kansas would say yes, or I like Iowa state, I know we've disagreed about that. I just don't think that's realistic because think about it this way. Like it's, it's Saturday. Somebody will turn on a Michigan state, Iowa football game. Sure. You know, they'll turn on Ohio State taking on Penn State. Anybody in the country, they'll turn that on and watch it. Kansas plays Baylor in college basketball in February. Who's what average guy is watching that? Like compare the ratings, compare a football game that gets six million views to a basketball game that gets, you know, just over a million. Like no matter how, like no matter how dominant you are in college basketball, college football is always gonna be supreme. So if, if Kevin Warren had the option, do you want the U or do you want, you know, Kansas football that goes one and 11, like he's going to take Miami. See, we just agree on whether Miami's realistic or not. Maybe Iowa and State. Even that, I think he would take Stanford before Kansas. Yeah, maybe. Stanford's a public Ivy League school, you know, better football history. I, I just don't see what Kansas brings to the table. Because March Madness, it's inelastic. Everybody watches it. It can be any 64 teams. People are going to watch it for the perfect bracket, you know, and for like the upsets. So I don't know. That's just me. I don't think Kansas has a shot. You know, you're probably right. At the end of the day, capitalism rules all. So looking at Illinois specifically, um, the roster has changed a decent amount, but not a ton. But one thing that did change is arguably, arguably the most important person on the team. And that's the guy at quarterback. Brandon Peters is done. He graduated, no eligibility left. So Brett Bielema and new offensive coordinator, Barry Lunny, will be most likely led by Tommy DeVito, transfer quarterback from Syracuse. This is something Bielema did while former offensive coordinator Tony Peterson was still on the staff 
And now Lunny comes in with a bit with the brand new quarterback in DeVito. He's got one year left. He's a transition guy. Got some ups, but not much experience. Carson, what do you think of a guy like DeVito? You know, DeVito, he didn't really, you know, he is a good decision maker. Doesn't make a bunch of, you know, interceptions. He's got a quick release. And most importantly, he's a confident guy. I mean, he's, he's very gone, confident. He went through a lot of adversity at Syracuse. Like if people don't remember, he was supposed to be the next great guy taking over for Dungy at Syracuse. I mean, he took over the team after a 10 and three season. And then they go five and seven under DeVito. And a lot of his touchdowns were in garbage time. And then he gets injured and then he loses his starting spot. And so his tenure at Syracuse was one that was marked with disappointment. Like in a perfect world, he finishes off at Syracuse, puts up 30 touchdowns a year, but that just didn't happen for him. And probably COVID had an impact on that too. So he's really just looking for an opportunity to really, you know, rebrand his image and get some, you know, a full season under his belt and just relax. The one thing is like, he hasn't won the job yet from Art Sikowski yet. You know, it's still up in the air. It's probably likely DeVito wins it, but it hasn't been clinched yet. So, you know, when I look at Illinois, like look at last season, we had Brandon Peters as quarterback. We had Art Sikowski with an injured shoulder be the quarterback, and they won four conference games. I mean, if their offense was just halfway decent, you know, they won seven games. So I think the key for DeVito is going to be how Barry Lunny uses him. You know, does Lunny, you know, have, you know, RPOs? Does he have rollout passes? Does he have quick passes? It felt like Tony Peterson, it was all or nothing. A lot of vertical routes, you know, and when you don't have the wide receiver talent, it just didn't work for our offense. So if we put DeVito in the right situations, you know, I think he can be a fine quarterback. But, you know, this offense, I mean, the lack of playmakers at wide receiver, besides Isaiah Williams, is kind of alarming. I agree with you. So obviously he hasn't technically won the starting battle yet. Could this be the coaching staff just holding off to make sure he doesn't, you know, get too cocky and think, Oh, I don't need to work hard. Like this is mine. Maybe we do. We know what's going on. Not really, but we're assuming here that DeVito is going to be the guy. The, from the little research I've done, you're right. He's a pretty good decision maker. He didn't always hit on the big plays, but something that he actually does have in his game is a pretty good deep ball. That's something that he, you know, used to his benefit in his little time at Syracuse, especially with the garbage time touchdowns. And the first thing I want to note on is that that could really help Illinois because when Isaiah Williams was scoring touchdowns last year, it actually oftentimes came through the deep ball. He likes to try and get behind his defender. If you look at the Rutgers game that Illinois was up two touchdowns on and then lost, Isaiah Williams' big play was a deep ball from Brandon Peters. Brandon Peters was finally able to hit him and boom, you have a long touchdown off of a dime. The Northwestern game, Isaiah Williams had at least one of those where Brandon finally got into the deep ball. Tony Peterson gives him a shot. He hits him, boom, he scores and runs. Illinois, I think, ended up winning that game by something along the lines of 40. So when Isaiah Williams can get behind his defender and just outrun him, and if he has someone to get the ball to him, he's really, really good. So the best way Isaiah is going to you know, succeed here is if DeVito is the type of guy that can get in the deep ball, and I think he is. But like you said, beyond Isaiah, there are a ton of questions at the receiver position. Casey Washington, you kind of know what you're going to get from him. He has good hands, but he's not the biggest playmaker. And then there's just so many question marks with the wide receiver group. Because someone that, I, someone that I like is Brian Hightower, a transfer from Miami. But we don't know what he can do. He's a huge question mark. Pat Bryant, same thing. Is Sean Miller, the freshman from IMG Academy, going to make a difference? And is he going to be healthy? We don't know. 
So beyond Isaiah, there's really just a ton of questions with the guys that, you know, DeVito can even be throwing to. Well, the big thing that, you know, Bielema talked about Lunny was how spacing is going to be huge for this offense. I mean, you know, at UTSA, you know, he'd spread out the field, you know, have four wide receivers out. And it really allowed them to have open space, you know, to get the ball in their hands. The one thing that Brett Bielema loved about Lunny is that last season, UTSA had a 80 pass catcher, a 70 pass catcher, and yep. a 52 pass catcher. Do you know what Illinois' top three were? Uh, I don't even want to guess. Did we have someone get 50? It was 47, 20, and 18. Oh, brother. So that's the thing. I mean, so I think bigger than DeVito. DeVito, this is going to be Lunny's system. And can DeVito just make the easy throws? You know, get the ball in Isaiah's hands and let him run. Let's finally get, you know, Hightower some chances. Let's get Casey Washington some chances. And the players are pretty excited about it. I mean, it's up-tempo. Isaiah Williams was talking about, you know, at media days, at the beginning of learning Lonnie's offense, they were gassed. I mean, they just were not conditioned to run, you know, the up-tempo offense. That's something that they worked on over the summer with, you know, with the conditioning program. So it's going to be able, you know, can you fit in Lonnie's vision? Lonnie wants it up-tempo. Wants a quick passing game, and and that opens up the spacing, so Chase Brown can run up the middle for six yards of carry. But if Devito is overthrowing, if Devito is making bad decisions, you know, then this offense is going to really struggle. So I think if they get the spacing, I think that's the biggest thing for Illinois. Illinois last year with an offensive coordinator that you and I both criticized from pretty much the day he was hired. Illinois couldn't, with him, Illinois couldn't score 20 points per game in conference last year. And like you said, they still were able to win four games. That was largely in part to Ryan Walter's defense. But it makes you think because, and we're going to go through the rest of the offensive roster here, at least in a second. Running backs are about the same. The offensive line is probably slightly declining, but you have your best offensive lineman overall on Alex Palczewski back. Receiver group, very similar. Quarterback, probably an He's He's an improvement probably an upgrade so you face a team like utsa which is not supposed to be good barry lunny comes in here and just tears your defense apart like we said the defense hadn't figured it out yet but that ended up being a pretty good defense ryan walters is no idiot he knew what he was doing so if you think that you have at least the same you know skill level and players or possibly someone better i just think lunny is the perfect guy to get because you have devito who's you know he has a chance to be good can he make the throws? He did in the spring game. Spring game means nothing, but he looked good in the spring game. Isaiah is a playmaker. Like I said, he's great in the deep ball, but he also is probably, you know, some people think he might get in the Debo Samuel role because he can just, you know, juke the heck out of players and create space, which is exactly what we need. We need an open field. So it all starts with DeVito. Rest of the lineup looks defense, but, or looks decent, but I like it. I think Lenny knows what he's doing. And especially with guys I want to talk about now and Josh McCray and Chase Brown, the offense at the very minimum has a higher ceiling than it did last year. And I don't think it's close. Well, it's the kind of things like look what Peterson did last year that had nothing to do with personnel. It's fourth and one against Rutgers and he throws a pitch play with no blockers. We had two um, like reverse wide receiver passes and Isaiah Williams never threw that pass. Like the former quarterback, isn't the wide receiver throwing the pass. I mean, those were things that really affected, you know, Illinois' team. You know, like against Minnesota, Brandon Peters goes seven for nine. He throws like two passes after the first quarter. That's what kept it a close game. The reason why it was 14 to six. Like, Lunny's not going to do that. 
he wants a balanced approach. That's something that Peterson wasn't capable of doing. I mean, he would just run the ball, run the ball, run the ball. And eventually, you know, you got to throw it. Even against Penn State, we had 330 rushing yards and we had one offensive touchdown. Yeah, you got to throw the ball, you know, if you want to, you know, get over the hump. Do you think that if DeVito, let's say he has, let's say he's like middle of the road Big Ten quarterback after this year, like seven or eight or whatever, and Isaiah Williams takes that jump, how high do you think Isaiah Williams can go in the NFL draft? Before we get back to the uh, the offense, I just want to hear your opinion. I, I don't know, probably a midder, probably three, four. Yeah. I think. I think he can be top three. I think he has the skill set to go top three for sure, especially with the teams looking at receivers like a Debo Samuel guy type you know, type of player now, right. I think he can be top three. Well, the one thing that helps Isaiah was that he was a quarterback. Yeah. So, you know, he does look at an offense differently. He talked about it. Like a, a typical wide receiver, you learn your position. You know, you're an inside slot guy. I'm going to learn what to do. I'm an outside guy, you know, and you rely on, you know, athletics. You know, Isaiah Williams used to study entire offenses. He understands defenses. So in, Isaiah is very confident about his abilities. He thinks he can be an inside slot guy. He thinks he can be an outside threat. He thinks he can play any position on the field as a pass catcher. And Isaiah just needs, you know, the ball in his hands. 47 receptions. He's your best wide receiver, and he's only getting 47 receptions. I mean, that's malpractice. So if Lunny makes an effort to get a quick passing game, get the ball in playmakers' hands, this offense with their eyes closed – is going to be better than last year. Yeah, and everything that we've you know heard and seen indicates to Lonnie really wanting Isaiah with the ball in his hands. Yeah. And it helps because, and I want to talk about the running backs, he has two very good ones. He has McCray mm-hmm. and Brown, and though the offensive line might look worse on paper than it was last year, and then I dealt with a lot of injuries. And like I said, you have your best probably overall offenses, offensive lineman, who, by the way, might have been Illinois' best draft prospect for the last like two years straight, Alex Palczewski's back. And then from there, like we said, it's a lot of question marks. Isaiah Adams, Jordan Slaughter, and Julian Pearl are probably going to start. They have some experience, but they're not super proven. The center position's up in the air. You have like a walk-on type of guy named Alex Pilstrom, who's, you know, giving you some good tech while he's been out there. But again, not a ton of experience. So do we expect the running game to be about the same next year? Can Brown and McCray both make a jump, you know, potentially get drafted or up their stock? when you have an offensive line that might not be as good. There's a lot of questions there. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, we lost a majority of the starters. I mean, you brought a couple back. But, you know, are they going to be as good as last year? I mean, you can make the argument behind Wisconsin, behind Minnesota. You know, they were third best in the division. You know, they had a lot of veteran guys there. I think the running backs, you are a product of your environment. So is Chase Brown – like, yeah, I think he could get 1,300 yards if the passing game is more open. I, so, yeah, I think the running game, I think it's going to stay around the same. But that wasn't the problem last year No, for Illini's offense. I mean, Tony Peterson, I guess, give him credit, you know, it was top 50% in the conference rushing. But no matter how good you run it, you know, you got to throw the ball over the air if you want to score 25, 28 points a game. So I, this whole offseason – is built about modernizing, making the offense more modern. And if that's the case, yeah, Chase Brown's going to get 1,300 yards. Josh McCray is a tank. Remember watching him against Purdue? Oh, he's amazing. He almost won us the game. Yep, on the last drive where, of course, we wouldn't go for it. But anyways, 
yeah, McRae's awesome. You have a guy in McRae who's a power guy, and you uh, you have a guy in Chase Brown who can break out in the open field for a big game. So we, we have two guys like that, and I think that really helps. But like you said, the running the running game is probably going to be very similar to what it last what it was last year, especially because you're a product of your offensive line a lot of the time. And the other thing about the offensive line is that's going to have a lot to do with how DeVito does because with the majority of quarterbacks, I mean, look at a guy like Kirk Cousins and Jared Goff, especially Kirk Cousins are probably the perfect example of this. If you have time to throw, you're elite. And if you don't, you are garbage. And I have a feeling that with DeVito, that's going to be, you know, a lot of how his game works this year. Yeah. If you're getting blitzed by corners, linebackers, defense alignment, like, yeah, the quarterbacks under pressure, their completing percentage is going to be lower. It's not that hard. So sometimes how do you neutralize that? Quick passing game, quick rollouts. Yep. But yeah, if they're just going to do four verts, you know, like a video game and just, you know, try to score touchdowns and the offensive line isn't up as up to par. Yeah, it could be a rough year for DeVito. So overall, the offense, it, it's going to be improved. Yeah. And quite frankly, this is the long build with Illinois football. Because think, think about it this way. 2020 before COVID was supposed to be the big year. That all those super seniors returning, it was, you know, Brandon Peters, Josh Monterbebe. And the problem was COVID. So your three easy non-conference games cut out. Brandon Peters out a couple of weeks with COVID. A bunch of players were out with COVID. They never had to cancel a game, but they were out. And that opened up the opportunity for all of them to come back in 2021. So if there wasn't COVID, 2021 was supposed to be a bad year. Everything got postponed. So now 2022 was going to be the gutted year. I mean, we lost a lot of super seniors from last year. So yeah, if, if they go three and nine, if they go four and eight, I mean, that's kind of, you know, it was kind of expected eventually. COVID just kind of postponed it a year. I just want to see an offensive coordinator that looks intelligent, that makes the smart decision-making, unlike a Tony Peterson. I think that's the biggest thing this season. Yeah, and I agree with you. And I think the point of talking about the offense the way we had is like, he has some of the pieces to have a high ceiling and really succeed. And at the very minimum, be better than last year. You have two good running backs. You have a dynamic receiver in Isaiah Williams. And if your offensive line can give a guy like DeVito to throw, who though inexperienced has shown some, some, good, some good spots, I think they can be good. So we'll transition. One, one quick thing. Yeah. Did you think Brett Bielma knew Tony Peterson wasn't going to get fired till January? Because that affected no. the whole quarterback market. Yeah, I don't know. Why did he wait till, like, if he would have fired him in January, I bet he always had Barry Lunny in the back of his mind since he used yeah. to work with him, since he just played against him. Imagine if we had hired Barry Lunny in November, the guy who rebuilt UTSA's offense from, like, 117th in scoring to 12th in scoring in two seasons. We could have got a plumber from Purdue. You know, I think you're, you know, you could possibly even get maybe even entertain a JT Daniels. But, you know, what happened was, you know, they still had Peterson, and then yeah. the only option was DeVito. I mean, they, they were one of the first programs to take a transfer quarterback. Mm-hmm. If we had a plumber, I'd be a lot more excited about the season. I'm I know some that. people even said that if we would have waited, Adrian Martinez would have been a possibility too. That been great I don't, I don't know if he would have transferred within the conference, let alone the Big Ten West. Now Kansas State has him. And I mean, though Adrian Martinez has, you know, had his ups and downs, let's look at him. He can hit a guy over the middle and he can run. And yep. you're right. That's better than a DeVito type of guy. And it doesn't help that Peterson helped made the, make the hire. But I, I think you're exactly right. I think that had he known, you know, Peterson was going to get fired, he possibly would have waited. 
there's nothing we can do now. No, nothing you can do now. And that's, you know, you just kind of have to suck it up. I mean, this season, they might go five and seven, they might go four and eight, yep. but it's more about progress. You know, yep. that's, that's just what I think. Yep. I agree. So let's flip to the other side of the ball. Now uh, we both like Ryan Walters. We thought he was a home run hire at the time and he had a great year last year, but unfortunately a lot of things have changed because Kirby Joseph ended up being, I believe a third round pick in the NFL to the lions. So he has a breakout year at your DB. You have a ton of questions there. You got your OLBs leaving. Isaiah Gay is gone. Owen Carney's gone. But you do do you do bring back some experienced guys. Keith Randolph had a very good year last year on the D line, who's back in the line outside linebacker position. Seth Coleman, who had some playing time last year, is back. And then at linebacker, you have CJ Hart, who had an amazing week zero and then gets hurt for the whole entire year. They have high expectations for him. Tariq Barnes, who saw a lot of field time last year with Jake Hansen getting out his back. Of course, Kalan Tolson decided to go to the NFL, which amazed me, but that didn't work out. And then Devon Witherspoon and Sidney Brown, your big guys at DB with corner and safety. But the problem is that you see almost half of their starters on defense do not have nearly the experience of some of the guys on the offense, and that's going to hurt. Love Ryan Walters. I'm a big fan of Ryan Walters, but last year, Big Ten offenses were down. We faced a Penn State team with an injured Sean Clifford. You know, Minnesota, you know, was not the same offensive firepower as 2019 or even 2020. So the product on the field increased because of probably offenses that weren't up to par. But also, you know, Illinois had tremendous pressure on the quarterbacks. I mean, against Maryland, I mean, that was a great performance. You know, we thought, you know, Talia was going to throw 500 yards against us in that Maryland game. You know, we hold Maryland 20 points. So I love the linebacker team. I mean, yes. he, like Tariq Barnes is a stud. Yes. Hart, that was a guy that got injured. I mean, he had a great game against Nebraska and he's out for the season. And he was very good at NC State too, by the way. This is a guy that is good. Like he's, he's legitimately good. It's not really a question. Yeah. It just, is he going to be ready after, you know, pretty, is he going to be rusty? Is he going to come off of the injury better or worse? So defensively, you know, it's really about Walters, how he best plays his players. Because he knows, are they going to be more of a pass rush? Are they going to be more of a zone, man coverage? You know, I don't know exactly. But for the defense, it's going to be the key all season. It's going to be pressure on the quarterback. Because, mm -hmm. you know, and, no, what were you going to say? Yeah, I was just going to say, and you might have guys that can do that too. Because C.J. Hart, like I said, I'm very excited for him. I think – he he's proven what he can do at other spots. It stinks that he only had one game last year. Luckily the defense was good otherwise, but he and Tariq Barnes should be a one, two punch at inside linebacker. But like you said, the key is going to be getting to the quarterback. Can Seth Coleman at OLB consistently get to the quarterback? Can keep people besides Keith Randolph? Like you look at maybe Jamal Woods, Calvin Avery, Johnny Newton, can they get to the quarterback? And that's the big question. Cause if you have guys that have potential but haven't proven themselves, there's nothing set in stone. And every quarterback, like, like we said before, if you put pressure on the quarterback, it's going to make his job way harder. And that's how you deal with Big Ten quarterbacks. Spencer Petras is not going to be good for Iowa if you can get pressure on him. Can Ryan Walters find a way to do it? Yes, maybe. Well, but I, it's I think we got to trust him, too. I mean, Jake Hansen was a stud for Illinois for seasons. He was yep. great under Lovey Smith. You know, he, Hansen was one of the big, you know, super senior returners for 2021. And I don't think he played since the Purdue game or he didn't even play the Purdue game. That was our best linebacker in like undisputed. 
And the mm-hmm. defense just kept improving every single week because a guy like Tariq Barnes steps up. Ryan Walters is a student of the game. You know, he knows how to maximize talent from each position. He changes the game plan. So I, I think Walters, the system is more of a plug and play. Are they going to be holding teams to under 17 points a game like last season? No. I don't know. That was very impressive. I mean, the defense was spectacular. And Walters got rewarded with a huge contract extension. Mm-hmm. So, you know, instead of giving up 17 points a game, it might jump up to 21 points a game. But, you know, it's going to take time for Walters to get his own players, you know, get maybe, you know, more physical corners, you know, faster linebacker play until we finally see, you know, the defensive product that he wants. You're right. Even if the defense goes up to 21 or 22 points a game, whatever it may be, that that probably isn't the big question. It's hard to evaluate a defense. They have guys in there that have experience. Sidney Brown keeps on continuing to make jumps. He's got one year left probably. Um, We like the linebacker group. Keith Randolph is someone to keep an eye on for the NFL. But at the end of the day, I think this this season is going to depend on the offense, right? It's hard to evaluate the defense. Ryan Walter show, has shown us what he can do. Can Barry Lunny boost the offense to the ceiling that we think they're capable of? Can, can Isaiah Williams get the ball? Can DeVito come in and be productive enough to get us to five, six, seven wins? And that's what we don't know. The one thing we got to credit Walters on, you know, under Lovey Smith, if he didn't get turnovers, he lost. Like that yep. was just proven. He never won a game without forcing having a plus margin in the turnovers. So our turnover margin, it was down compared to 2020. Like we created less turnovers per game than 2020. And instead of giving up 36 points a game in conference play, it lowered to 17 points per game. Yep. So that means the defense is becoming, you know, it's more sustainable. They're not getting lucky with turnovers. It's better trench play, better pass rush, better zone coverage. That's why the defense improved. So this season, yeah, it might take a dip. But on the long run, I mean, it is much more stable than a Lovey Smith defense. Yeah, for sure. I mean, this isn't the NFL. Not, you know, when Lovey came in and just didn't have the right mindset and many things going in. But like you said, he puts this emphasis on turnovers and it didn't work. Because sure, you get three turnovers. But if you're giving up 35 points a game, like no one's, well, like you're the, not going to win. The Chicago Bears in 2018, they had the most turnovers. Yep. I mean, they were great. They went 12 and four. Next year, turnovers dry down. I mean, dry up. And they go eight and eight. Exactly. You know, turnovers aren't predicted. No, it's not the same in college football. Nope. All right. So, you know, real quick before we wrap things up here, looking at the schedule, I got a couple of games circled um, for a mix of must wins and just games, you know, keep an eye on week one, which is Illinois second game, September 2nd, Friday night and at Indiana. Um, I think that little stretch of, Iowa and Minnesota and then Purdue those are the games that I have circled for different reasons starting with Indiana I think Indiana is a game you have to win yeah you do I mean Indiana's they got a new quarterback they got the Missouri transfer but they also have a new offensive coordinator I think they lost probably 15 starters from last year and let's face it they were bad last year yes I mean they went two and ten I mean the defense took a serious step down the passing game was not existent so that's an Indiana game where we're not going to be rusty. We have week one, you know, to, you know, against Wyoming to kind of, you know, work on certain things. Indiana, that's going to be their first game of the year. So I think that's a game for Illinois. If you seriously want to make a bowl game, if you want to be a contender, Brett Bielma has to get his team ready for that. 
that's a game that Chase Brown just has to roll up his sleeves and run for 180 yards and just win the game. Yeah, I totally agree. Penix is gone. He's not going to be there. Sure, you have the Mizzou quarterback, and you have some other guys from the transfer portal, but this is not an experienced team. They were 2-10 and ten last year, and it's not like they fill up the stadium in Bloomington. I mean, they're not going to sell out that game. It's their first game of the year. Could that be an advantage for them being at night? Just, you know, pure adrenaline purposes, maybe. But it's Indiana football. No. Exactly. It's not, it's not basketball. This is not the Hoosier State because of football. Like, you have to win that game, I think, for Illinois. If we lose that one, it's going to be uh, a rough a long season to say the because least. Yeah. You look at Virginia, they're not beating Virginia. No, they're not. Virginia's going to outscore you with Armstrong and their wide receivers. Doesn't Tony, matter that Mendenhall left. I mean, Tony Elliott is a great offensive mind at Clemson. I know last year struggled, but Armstrong's going to put up 350 yards in one yeah. night. I don't think DeVito can keep pace with an Armstrong. Mm-hmm. So then you move on a little bit. I mean, obviously games like Chattanooga, you got to win. Wyoming, you got to win. You know you're not winning at Wisconsin. So then you look at this little two-game stretch, early October. They're back-to-back versus Iowa and versus Minnesota. One of those teams you beat last year, one of them you didn't. And, you know, we've talked a lot about that game. You gave up the big play and the kick return touchdown. Iowa's a good team. Their defense is always good. But this is one of – because they're going to be favored to lose both of those games. In my opinion, if they're going to steal a game, this might be one of them. Because the thing with Iowa is that – they win when you make mistakes. Yes. But guess what? Purdue didn't make mistakes last year against them, and they beat them 24-7. to 7. Wisconsin didn't make mistakes. They beat them, what was it, similar score. I think, you know, they shut down Iowa's, you know, offense. So if Illinois, look at the past two times they've gone to Kennick. Brandon Peters in 2019 fumbled the ball a couple times. Bad clock management by Lovey Smith. They lose 19-10. This year, you know, Brett Biuma has COVID. They were up 10-0, but, you know, a kickoff return, you know, was kind of the deciding factor. So if you're Illinois, don't have any turnovers. Have a quick passing game. You know, do the, don't have too many penalties, and you have a chance to beat Iowa. That's a game you can win 14-13. They'll also be coming off a game at Wisconsin. So when you're playing Most a team that over. good with that good of a defense – I, I no, I, I'd say it's the exact opposite. Like you're going to be coming, you know, Camp Randall Stadium, which is an incredible environment. So you're going to finally go back home, play a defense that isn't as good, and play an offense that probably isn't as good either. I know people like to criticize Graham Mertz, but like he's actually like okay, I think he's fine. So yeah. no, and, and Brett Bielema is going to want to bounce back after probably a big loss. So it's a chance. And then the very next week, you have Minnesota, who Illinois beat last year. Yeah, Minnesota's possible. What is Tanner Morgan going to do? Yep. He's reunited with his old offensive coordinator from 2019. But back in 2019, you know, they had Bateman, Rashad Bateman, NFL wide receiver. They had another NFL wide receiver. You know, Tony, Morgan in 2019 threw 30 touchdown passes. It went down to like 10 last year. So what's going to be the passing attack for Minnesota? Because if it's anything resembling to last year, I mean, Illinois can shut down their running game. Yeah. So – that's the thing this year. It's a lot of wait and see. Like, I don't know what Minnesota is going to be like. I don't know if DeVito is going to, you know, really elevate this offense too much. I do trust Barry Lunny. So if I have to make a prediction right now, probably four and eight, five and seven, but there's a lot of games you can win. Like Indiana's a yep. must win. Yep. I think it's hard to say you can shut down Minnesota's running game because Mo Ibrahim is back and some people took him 
going into last year as the Big Ten Player of the Year, and obviously you got hurt all to play. So, so it's tough to say you can shut down your run game. I'd like to, you know, say we can shut down any team's run game, but I just don't think that that's a realistic expectation. But no, you're right. If you shut down one of the two, I think you have a decent chance to beat Minnesota. But you know, looking at the rest of the schedule, like Purdue, that's a lot. Very possible. No, Purdue's possible, but you're right. It might be Michigan State's not realistic. No. The games that you think you have to win are Wyoming, Indiana, Chattanooga, and Northwestern. So that's four. Where do you get two more wins from? And that's the question. Is it Purdue, you Minnesota, gotta, Iowa? You don't know. You got to split um, Minnesota, Iowa. You got to win. I agree. Back to back home games. I mean, that'd be huge for the program. Yep. Beating Iowa, Brett Bielma's all mater, haven't beat them since 2008. I think that's the game you really got to circle on the schedule. And, yep. you know, with, with Nebraska, like, I expect Nebraska to be a dark horse. Well, let's see, you know, new offense coordinator, Mark Whipple, was at, you know, Pittsburgh last year. They scored, like, 43 points a game. But it's not easy to change the whole offensive playbook in one year. No. And Nebraska has been struggling the past five seasons. Maybe that's a game you still in Lincoln. But, yeah, Northwestern, Chattanooga, Indiana, Wyoming. Let's just give them Minnesota slash Iowa. Let's just say one of those. That's five wins. I mean, still only five. Where's the sixth win? They beat Virginia. Probably not. Virginia and Purdue are probably two very similar games, in my opinion. Yeah. It's going to be a tough season. I mean, at Michigan, probably not realistic. Nope. So I like, I have to say for this team, I'm expecting five and seven. Yeah. I, I think, don't five think that's seven. bad. Yeah. And even if you go four and eight, you're not too surprised because Illinois probably always loses a game they should have won. So even if you do steal one from a team like Minnesota, but you lose to Indiana or you oh. find a way to lose to Northwestern, like that's four and eight. That's true. But it's going to be year four. That's going to be the big yeah. thing for Illinois. Can you yeah. finally get game four? It's just frustrating because, you know, last year, they probably should have gone seven and five. So everything kind of gets pushed back. Probably should have got the bowl game last year. And, you know, last year's roster probably was more talented on paper. I think after they play Virginia, it's just going to be such a better indication on, you know, what this team can do over the year because we'll see them against Indiana. We'll see them in a game that we hope they win. We see them in a game they should win against Wyoming. And then a game like Virginia where we're not expecting them to win. Does it help that it's at, it's at home? Sure. But, like, I don't expect anything different than what we saw last year in Charlottesville. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah. All right, well, that's going to do it for today. Carson, I think we'll be back one more time before we head back to school for baseball podcast, our favorite thing to talk about. But, hey, counting down the days. I think it's August 27th that Illinois has their first game. Week zero, Wyoming. Soon ticket sales are up. So They are. Are we going to sell out the student section five times again? Probably not. That'd be nice. You never know. All right, Carson, thanks again for coming on. Thank you, everyone, for listening. This has been the Daily Illini Sports Podcast.